All right. Well, as the kids and volunteers continue out, if you would, take your Bible and open to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. The Bible is divided into essentially two halves, even though it doesn't work out into equal parts. There's an Old Testament and then a New Testament, and Matthew is the first book there in the New Testament. We've been looking at a series of passages called the Sermon on the Mount. And we went through the Sermon on the Mount, but now we're going to circle back for the next three weeks and do Sermon on the Mount 2.0 and, and pick up some of the passages that we didn't look at, maybe we went over too quickly, just things that I think would be important for us to, to address as, as a church, especially in chapter 5 of Matthew. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5 for the next few weeks. Before we get started with that, I want to let you know that our church every year participates in a Mother's Day offering for the Baptist Children's Village in Mississippi. The neat thing about this is back in January, you all gave to what we call the Super Bowl offering and gave a record amount to that offering so that we were able to send the kids in the Baptist Children's Village to be able to go bowling to go watch movies, to go on outings, to do things they wouldn't normally be able to do. And so we were able to make that happen. This offering that happens every Mother's Day simply allows them to continue with their operating expenses. And so if you're interested in giving to that offering or knowing more about it, after the service, you can come down to this table and there's some information pieces as well as some envelopes connected to that that offering. And then last week, if you didn't have a chance to pick up one of the pamphlets about Compassion International to sponsor a child overseas to be able to have food, but also to go to a school and hear about Jesus, it's an incredible ministry. And there are some information packets up here if you want to find some more information uh, about that ministry. So I want us to take a couple of minutes as a church and pray for the Baptist Children's Village, for the ministry that happens there. And pray as well for the ministry to children around the world. We love to watch our kids exit and go to their time to hear about God's word. And we say every week how much we love to have kids here. What a joy it is to have them as part of our church and for you to come as families and grandparents and friends. And so we just want to take time to pray about that right now. And then we're going to move into uh, the time for our sermon. Father, we thank you that the model that Jesus set for us as the Son of God was not to push kids away, not to count them as a hindrance, but to identify them as the model for what your kingdom looks like, that Jesus called the kids to come to him, that he said that we're to have faith like a child. As parents, as grandparents, as friends, as godparents, all the different roles that we play, it can get exhausting. (laughs) And trying to keep a kingdom perspective, an eternal perspective about what we're doing. And Father, when we look at kids in need, it reminds us of just how vulnerable we can be. The effects of sin in our world, as we think about the children in Nepal and northern India who are facing the effects of the earthquake, as we think about these kids at the Baptist Children's Village, the children that Compassion International supports around the world, and God, just the kids here in Hancock County with the problems we have related to drugs and the problems related to economy and all those different things, the 
the hardest part is that we know that the kids are the ones who are often most affected. And God, I thank you for a church that is committed to ministering to families, ministering to kids, things like Vacation Bible School coming up, just parents and grandparents who want to make a difference, friends, aunts, uncles, God, all of us coming together. So, Father, we pray that you would show us what it looks like to be involved in ministry to children and ministry to families. And, God, that the Baptist Children's Village in Mississippi would continue strong in the years to come. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, stand with me just for a second as we read Matthew chapter 5. This will give you a chance to get the adult wiggles out and also to stand in the honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 5 verse 3. It says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. May God bless the reading of his word. You can be seated. As we get started this morning and think about the direction that we're going with this passage, I want to give you a psalm that maybe will help you understand the idea behind that word blessed. So listen to this theological psalm as we think about what this passage is, is about. There comes the movement I always knew we had, so it was just it was just submerged a little bit. We actually pr- should probably move less than we even moved, but that's be, uh, besides the point. So now, now, now Pharrell's probably not the theologian in residence that, that we're looking for, but that song that caught on this last year about being happy. You realize this last week, we had a Major League Baseball game with nobody in the stands because of a city that was drowning in violence. We had an earthquake that has affected thousands upon thousands, stretching into millions of people that's caused devastation that we will probably never even see the fullness of. We have all of these things that are developing in our world, and that doesn't even describe everything that's happening in your life that you're dealing with right now, related to sickness, related to your job, related to your kids, related to all these other things that you're battling in life. And we come back around to this idea and think about what does it even mean to be happy? What's the connection between happiness and Christianity? What is Jesus saying in, in these verses? And when there's a danger in talking about happiness, I realize that because we often talk about how happiness is something that is often temporary or it's based on the conditions of our life. But there is a way that we can talk about happiness that's talking about this perfect abiding joy that comes because of Christ. And these verses right here address that more than maybe any other verses that we're going to find in the Bible. And I want to tell you what that looks like and why that's the case. But I have to be up front with you. The problem with preaching a sermon about happiness is I don't know if I've battled the blues any more 
than I have this past week because I think I was going to preach about happiness and I was trying to think about what does this look like. We realize we live in a world and we live in families and we live in situations that so often repress that and we just think, how am I going to get to the next hour, much less get there happily? But these verses are actually at the heart of answering that question. And the reason is, is because these verses start with the word blessed. Now that word blessed is a word we don't often use very, we don't use very often um, in our lives. If you're very spiritual, you will say blessed instead of blessed. A lot of times when people read these verses, they'll say blessed are the poor in spirit. But it's just blessed. You don't have to say blessed. It's just blessed. Another word to the wise, if you're not from the south or you haven't figured out how the south works, if someone says bless your heart, they don't really mean that. They don't mean bless your heart. They mean other words that we can't say in church because we use phrases like bless your heart and we really don't know what the word bless actually means. But there are two bless words that come out of this passage, two ways of translating this word that help us understand what it's about. Here's the first one, is the word honored. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, one of the things that he is saying is he is saying that those who are poor in spirit and all these other characteristics are those who are honored. Now, in the ancient world, it wasn't such a big deal to be guilty of something, though that did matter, and it wasn't a big deal to be afraid of something. The worst thing was to be dishonored, to have your image and your reputation and your family name shamed or embarrassed or dishonored in some way. In many parts of the world, especially if you spent time in the Middle East or in certain Asian cultures, to be shamed or to be dishonored is the very worst thing that could possibly happen to you. And what Jesus does is when he comes on the scene is he completely flips the script about what it means to be honored. He says that all of the other things that you've heard were honorable are actually not honorable. And everything that you thought was shameful is actually honorable. And the reason he's doing that is because there were two ways to gain honor in the ancient world. The first was that you were born into it. You were born into a family that had money. You were born into a family that had a good reputation, and that gave you honor among the people. The second way you got honor is you achieved it. You did something really great, and you became an honorable person, which isn't that different than the world that we live in now. If you're born into a certain family in a certain community and you have a certain last name, that name can come with honor. It can come with respect. Or if you do great things in your job or you do something great in the community, you can become an honored person. You can have a highway named after you or you can have a building named after you. There are different ways to gain honor. But part of honor also meant that you were considered to be a happy person that you were a person who had a good estate in life, and so that meant that you had happiness with it. But the, real, the thing we realize is that in the world we live in now, just because you're rich, just because you're popular, doesn't automatically mean that you're happy. And so there has to be more of a foundation there. There has to be something else going on. There's a translation, well, not really a translation of the Bible. There's a paraphrase of the Bible called the message. And the message was written by a man named Eugene Peterson. Many of you probably have a copy of the message at home, but if you look in the message, that, that paraphrase of the Bible, and you look at Matthew chapter 5, Eugene Peterson translates the word blessed as happy. Happy are the poor in spirit. 
Happy are those who mourn. Happy are those who are meek. Happy. And what he's saying is the people who have this estate in life right here, because of what Jesus has done when he came into the world and turned things upside down and turned them inside out, is he changed the definition of what it means to be happy. And what is that definition? Well, let's look at these verses here. Blessed are those... Oh, there we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit. We don't automatically connect poor with happy, but Jesus just did. Blessed are those who mourn. That seems completely upside down. How can you mourn and actually be happy at the same time? Blessed are the meek or the gentle. Usually we think of a happy person as being someone who is strong and assertive. And Jesus says it's the gentle or the meek who are happy. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. We think of someone who has all the food they need, who has everything they need. That person is happy, not the person who hungers. And so Jesus is in the process of completely changing their definition of happiness. And the reason he's doing this is because the Old Testament fabric behind the Sermon on the Mount is so strong. If you want to turn there in your Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 1. The verses are going to be up on the screen as well, but sometimes it's good practice just to turn in your phone and in your Bible. I want you to see the Old Testament background to what Jesus is doing here in the Sermon on the Mount. The book of Psalms is 150 chapters long, so I wouldn't recommend reading it all this afternoon, but but it's this 150-book compilation of what it means to worship God, for what it means to understand who God is. If you're a person who loves literature, if you're a person who loves poetry, if you're a person who loves vivid imagery when you read, the Psalms is incredible material. And you go to the Psalms, and what you find is that it's no accident that Psalm 1 starts the way that it does. Look at Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked. Okay, let's stop right there. Jesus' audience... When he sat down on the mountain and he said, blessed are the poor in spirit, they knew their Old Testament a whole lot better than we know our Old Testament. And as soon as they heard Jesus say, blessed are the poor in spirit, they would have known that the book of Psalms starts in exactly the same way. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Okay, this is amazing what Jesus does right here. He's taking this tradition that starts in Psalm 1 that says there are two paths in life. There is a path that leads to destruction, and there is a path that leads to perfect life. And this way is the way of sinners and the way of scoffers and the way of mockers. And this is the way of those who meditate on the Lord's law and who delight in it and who follow after it. And it will lead to you being a tree that is planted by streams of water and you produce this good fruit. Here's the amazing thing. The Sermon on the Mount that we're looking at in the book of Matthew, it goes Matthew 5, 6, and 7. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7... Jesus will tell the people to beware of the false prophets. And you will know the false prophets, how? By their fruits. 
because every good tree produces good fruit, and every bad tree produces bad fruit. And so what Jesus has done in the Sermon on the Mount is he has started it with the word blessed, and he has ended it with an imagery of bearing fruit, which is exactly how the book of Psalms begins. So you see the way that he's building on this tradition. These people have always known this is what it looks like to follow the Lord. This is what it looks like to be in the Lord's will. And Jesus says, yeah, let me show you what that really looks like. And he gives them the Sermon on the Mount. This idea of there being two traditions, two ways to go, is huge in the book of Proverbs. Here's an interesting thing. Let me, let me encourage you to do this. If you are not in the habit right now of reading the Bible, if you say, you know what, I respect the Bible, I want to know more about the Bible, I just have no idea where, where to start. Here's an interesting thing. The book of Proverbs has 31 books. Several of months during the year have 31 days to the month. And so one of the things you can do is just open up and read a proverb every day just to get used to what it looks like to open God's Word and and read it. And what you're going to find in the book of Proverbs is there is one way that leads to destruction and there is another way that leads to life. And the book of Proverbs is constantly saying, don't go down this road, go down this road. And Jesus is picking up on that theme. And so if if you're going to work, if you're trying to figure out how to be a parent, if you're trying to figure out how to be a spouse, all of these things, and you need God's wisdom in your life, open the book of Proverbs. Read a proverb every day and ask God to show you which way you need to go in life. But there's one other thing that Jesus does in the Old Testament. If you're in the book of Psalms, go over to the right a little bit to the book of Isaiah. Or if you're in your phone, it'll be easy just to, uh, just to scroll down. Scroll down to the book of Isaiah. That's one of those first of the uh, of the major prophets in, in the Old Testament. And go to Isaiah chapter 61. And these verses are going to be on the screen as well if you, uh, if you don't have access to God's word right there in, in front of you. Isaiah 61 gives us a prophecy of what things will be like when the Messiah comes, the one who will come to rescue God's people. When God's spirit begins to move and he begins to change people's hearts, Isaiah 61 gives us a picture of that. Jesus showed up on the scene and he said in more or less certain terms, I am the Messiah. I have come to show you God's kingdom. And the people would have wanted to know, what does that look like when the Messiah shows up? Isaiah 61, look at these words and think about what we read earlier in Matthew about the type of people who are happy. Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. Some people say afflicted in that translation. A lot of translations will say poor. The poor in spirit, those who are afflicted. This is the exact same language that Jesus was picking up on in Matthew chapter 5. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. What does that sound like? Those who mourn. Jesus said, blessed are the mourn. Not blessed. I just did the same thing I said not to do. Blessed are, the, are those who mourn. He said that the Messiah will come and bind up the brokenhearted. Verse 2, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. There's that word again. So what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is he's saying, you've heard that prophecy in Isaiah 61 of what things would be like when the Messiah comes? Well, guess what? The Messiah has come, and I'm going to tell you 
what that looks like. So go back over to Matthew chapter 5 just for a second. We know what Jesus is doing in this passage is he's giving us a picture of what it will be like for God's people when everything that was talked about in Psalms and Proverbs and Isaiah begins to come true. And I want you to see in Matthew chapter 5 the way that these different things build upon each other. There's a, there's a pattern that happens, kind of this inside-out pattern that happens in Matthew chapter 5. Watch how this works. The first one, blessed are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit means that you reach a place in your life where you are completely dependent on the Lord. You reach, some people say you hit rock bottom. Some people say you just run out of energy. Some people say that you reach the end of your rope. Use whatever word you want to, whatever phrase. Poor in spirit means that you reach a point in your life where you realize, I cannot do this on my own. I simply cannot go on by myself. There is something missing in my life, and you become poor in spirit. The next one says, blessed are those who mourn. When someone becomes poor in spirit, the natural reaction is to begin to mourn because you realize that you cannot do for yourself what needs to happen in your life. And so you begin to mourn saying, what do I need in life? What type of answers do I need in life? If you've been around someone and something happens in their life and they hit, hit rock bottom or they reach the end of the rope, the type of crying and mourning that happens at that time is what my wife likes to call the ugly cry, the cry where you just know it doesn't look good but everything is being exposed and you realize you've reached the end of your rope and there's no control at that point. You are mourning not because you're sad you got caught, but because you realize that you are out of energy. You have nothing else to bring to the table on your own. And Jesus says, when you reach that point, you will find comfort. So blessed are those who mourn. And then verse 5, blessed are the meek, or blessed are the gentle. There was a guy in our church growing up who we lovingly called the biggest Puerto Rican on the planet. But uh, this guy was about 400 pounds, and he'd gotten his start in a military town in Oklahoma street fighting. These privates would come in to do basic training, and they would go out at night and hit the town when they got finished uh, and they were allowed to have some, some free time. And this guy who was in our church, he'd gotten his start by going to the bars and just wiping the floor with these guys who thought that they were big and bad because they were in the military and they were really going to amount to something. And so he was a street fighter in, in every sense of the word. And one day, a little girl, she wasn't a girl, she was in her early 20s, but a, but a little lady who was about five foot tall came up to him and told him that what he was doing was not honoring to the Lord and that he was living in sin and that he was going down a path leading to destruction and that if he did not change his ways, he was going to find himself without the Lord, and he was going to find himself completely separated from God. And so you have this little five-foot lady, and you have this six-foot-four, 400-pound Puerto Rican guy in this conversation. And as this guy tells the story, when she began to speak to him, he just became broken inside. And he realized that everything he was living for, everything he was doing with his life, was completely the wrong direction. And he became broken and he began to mourn, and he found hope through Jesus Christ. And you know what he turned into? He turned into a 400-pound teddy bear. 
He went from a 400-pound street fighter to a 400-pound teddy bear. Because when you are poor in spirit, and when you begin to mourn, you become gentle, and you become meek. And the word meek is not the same as weak. The word meek means strength under control. It means not asserting yourself. It's this idea of having a gentle spirit. Everything in the world says if you're going to get happiness, if you're going to get ahead, you have to assert yourself. You have to run over people if necessary. You have to do whatever it is to take life by the horns. And Jesus says, blessed are the meek. Blessed are the gentle. Blessed are those who mourn and then trust in me. Do you sense how this is so upside down in our world? This is a completely different way of thinking. As we're looking at what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, it's always good to keep in mind that if Jesus showed up, he probably wouldn't be well accepted in our church. And we just have to acknowledge that reality. Some of the things that Jesus says in the Bible are striking, and they are upside down for the way we think about life. Blessed are the gentle, for they will inherit the earth. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Not hungering and thirsting for all the things that seem like they'll satisfy, but hungering and thirsting for the things of the Lord. What happens when you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Verse 7, you become merciful. Why do you become merciful? Because you've been shown mercy. When you realize that you have been shown great mercy by the God of the universe, then you will turn around and you will be more merciful to other people. You will realize that you are broken, that you are meek, that you are hungering for God, and so you're going to extend mercy to other people. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. I love this one. This is the person of integrity. This is the idea that when every good thing you have in life comes because of God's grace— then you don't have to manipulate people. You don't have to try to be one person over here and another person over here. You realize that all I am is a person who has been radically changed by God's grace. And so I'm going to be pure in heart. I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm not trying to get things from people. I'm just trying to follow after the Lord with purity. Verse 9, when you're pure in heart, it's easier to be a peacemaker because you're not always worried about what people are trying to get from you. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And then finally you get to verse 10. When you are a meek person who is merciful and pure in heart and a peacemaker, then you can say, blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus has painted this picture of what it looks like to have happiness in life. Not because you're rich, not because you pretend like everything's okay, not because you're hungering after all the things of this world, not because you're trying to assert yourself, but just because of the fact that you have come to a point that you realize you are completely, completely dependent upon the Lord. Here's something interesting about these statements. They can be contrasted with what we often think of as the seven deadly sins. The seven deadly sins is a concept that started in the fourth century of the early church and, and these monks were trying to think of a way to help people recognize sin in their life. And so they began to develop this rubric, these categories of different types of sins. And if you look on the back of your bulletin at, at the sermon notes, you can see kind of that list of, of sins as, as I've laid it out there. Pride, sloth, which is just a great word, uh, just means indifference, you just don't care. Sloth is probably the sin of my generation. 
you just don't care. And, and it can become such a deadly sin in, in our lives. Greed, gluttony, wrath, lust, envy, all of these deadly sins that began to develop in, in the early church. You won't be able to go to a place in your Bible and find this exact list of sins. This is a, this is a list that was developed over time to help people recognize sin in their life. One really quick aside before we kind of move toward the conclusion. If you grew up in a Roman Catholic church, and we always want to be nothing but respectful as we're talking about uh, our Catholic friends and family and thinking about what it means to live out our life. But if you grew up in the Catholic church, you probably heard about the difference between a mortal sin and a venial sin. A mortal sin was a type of sin that would separate you from God's grace. Mortal coming from the word for deadly. So there was this type of sin that would separate you from God's grace. Venial sin was a type of sin that was bad, but wasn't really, really bad. And so there were ways that you could deal with that venial sin that wouldn't work for a mortal sin. Let me just tell you as straightforward as I can, that distinction does not exist in Scripture. Sin is deadly. Romans 3.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. Every sin, according to Scripture, is a mortal sin. Every sin has the power to destroy our lives. And the way that we have life is through Jesus Christ. So when you see these seven deadly sins mentioned here, it's not that these are the only sins that lead to death. It's that these are the categories of sin that we deal with in our life. And what Jesus has done in the Sermon on the Mount is he has given us a contrast to these seven deadly sins. Look at the way that it works. For those who are prideful, Jesus says to be poor in spirit. For those who have sloth, who just don't care about life, Jesus says you need to learn to mourn over your condition. For those who are greedy and are always trying to get more, Jesus says to be meek, to be gentle, to realize what God has already given you. To those who are gluttonous, who, who are, can't control desires and are always wanting more, Jesus says if you want to be a glutton, hunger after the things of God. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Those who are wrathful, who are always finding what's wrong with somebody else but not paying attention to themselves. Jesus says to become a merciful person because you've been shown mercy. Those who are lustful, Jesus says be pure in heart. Those who are envious and are always trying to get something from somebody else, Jesus says to be peaceful. The way of happiness that Jesus lays out is completely upside down in our lives. But here's why it's so important, and this is what we're aiming at this morning. The reason it's so important is I think that one of the greatest barriers to people when they think about following Jesus and when they think about being a part of a church and when they think about being a Christian is the idea that it seems boring. And granted, we probably have contributed to that because sometimes we're just boring people, and, and that's, not, that's not a godly attribute. Because when people look at Christianity, they think, there's no joy there. There's no happiness there. Those people seem sad and depressed. And, and how could that way lead to happiness? And yet Jesus has said, I have shown you the way that leads to happiness. All of those other things, all of those things that seem to provide happiness, it's just temporary. And it will lead to destruction. And you do not want to go down that road. But if you will turn to me, you will find true happiness and true honor in life. 
There's a confession, a Christian confession. If you grew up in a Presbyterian church, you probably heard of the Westminster Confession of Faith. The first question that you learn in the Westminster Confession of Faith is what is the chief end of man? In other words, why does our life exist? And the short answer to that is our life exists to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Which means that when we live our lives focused on the things of the Lord, the result of that will be eternal joy and eternal happiness that we would never find if we followed after the things that seem to give happiness in this life but actually lead to destruction. And so what I want you to know this morning is that we live in a culture that is desperate for happiness. And Pharrell proved that last year with that song, the way that it caught on and the way that it lifted people's spirits. But what we want to say and what we want to stand on is that the way that leads to path, the, the way that leads to happiness is the path that Jesus has laid out for us. And so I would encourage you to find your satisfaction in Christ. If you think, you know what, if I live somewhere else, I would be more happy. Or if I was married to somewhere else, someone else, I would be more happy. Or if my kids were different, I would be more happy. Or if I had a different job, I would be happier. Or if all of these things were the case, I would be happier. But what we find is true satisfaction, true happiness is found in following the way of Christ. And what we have to then turn around and do is fight sin in our life with the joy of Christ. If we have been made perfectly happy, perfectly satisfied in Christ, then we will fight against anything that tries to take that away. Any type of envy, any type of pride, any type of wrath, anything that tries to take that away, we will fight that with the joy we have in Christ. In just a minute, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to stand and sing a song called Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, because when we turn our eyes upon Jesus, we find the blessed path, the honored path, the happy path that leads to life. If you need someone to pray with during that time, I'll be down here at the front. If you just need to pray right where you're at and say, God, I don't think I understand all this, but I do know I need you to be at work in my life. Just cry out to him. Reach that point that you realize that you are poor in spirit, and then you will find God's kingdom. Let's pray together.